We're live. My guest today is Magnus Marinek. He is founder of Skip, and today we're going to be diving deep into Skip and MEV on Cosmos. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks remote work is NGMI. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on the Interop is investment advice. And if you enjoyed this content, please consider sticking on Osmosis, Quicksilver, and Evmos. And I just want to remind everyone that tickets for Nebula Summit are on sale. Early bird tickets are on sale, and they're almost sold out. Nebula is the Interchain Builders Conference that's happening in Paris on July 24th and 25th, right after ECC. If you're interested in hearing about the most innovative and, and forward-thinking tech chain, this is the conference for you. So head over to nebular.builders for all the details and get your early bird tickets while you still can. My guest, Magnus, is coming up next, right here on The Interrupt. Hi, Magnus. How are you doing? Thanks for joining me. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, um, so today we're going to be talking about Skip and MEV and Cosmos. This is a topic that I've covered a little bit on the podcast. And honestly, it's a topic that I'm, I'm you know, still like learning about. And I feel like it's, it's not a topic that I'm um, you know, very comfortable with. Right? I, I know sort of on a high level, but at a deeper level, um, still, still figuring things out. Um, and what's, what's interesting, I think... About MEV is that Ethereum. It's a topic that has been, you know, covered and researched uh, for years, and I think like people in Ethereum have a very good understanding of how MEV works. But in Cosmos, it sort of throws the entire model on its head because we have like multiple chains, and and also you know some, some cross chain action that uh, introduces other complexities and other opportunities. So let's talk about those things specifically and understanding you know how MEV is is unique in, in Cosmos. Um, but first, yeah, first we'd like to get a bit of background on yourself and how you got to be here. Yeah, sure. So um, I like to say everything in Cosmos has been always up for me because I started Skip with Barry at a hacker house that was hosted by Terra in about May 2022. Um, and so we halfway through that hacker house, Terra was no longer with us. Um, and so our first experience in Cosmos was, oh my God, it's so huge. It's so awesome. Terra is so big and there's all these people here and it's so much, so much excitement. And then halfway through that, I saw, you know, a market cap project go from 30 billion or whatever it was to zero. Um, but at the end of that hacker house, we had the first version of Skip developed and, uh, you know, we, we were wondering, well, like what, what else is there? Right. And we were new to Cosmos. We didn't really know any other chains and, we started to talk to Sonny, we started to talk to Jake, we started to talk to, you know, Liam um, from Evmos. And we realized that, wow, there, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Um, the stack was one of the most interesting things that we had seen. And we decided to just take a bet. We said, okay, let's spend the next couple of years um, or longer, potentially, building out more and more pieces of infrastructure. And one of the big missing pieces we thought was, was MEV. Um, we never viewed MEV as something that was purely extractive. We viewed it instead as something that was an important piece of infrastructure for safe blockchains. Um, but that's how we got started. 
And so since, since you got started, like what has been the, the pro progression? So when did you get started and you know, what stage would you say the company is at now in terms of, you know, fulfilling its roadmap? Yeah, it's a great question. So we're about nine months old. Um, so a little bit less than a year. And, uh, you know, the first couple months was really focused on building the team, but then also shipping our first product. It's very simple. It basically allowed for a top of block auction for any Cosmos chain. We made a modification to Tendermint, which is the consensus layer, to basically allow for a external marketplace to develop around searchers who wanted to buy the top of a block. Um, that product was, was quite successful. It was called Skip Select. Um, it's implemented now ecosystem-wide on Juno. It's implemented on Injective, Evmos, Terra2, and a couple other chains, um, running on about 200-plus validators and has mostly done what we wanted it to do, which was start to open Cosmos up to this concept of, well, what if we started to play with the markets in our mempools as validators to allow for healthy MEV to be extracted? And what I say by when I say healthy, I mean there's a couple kinds of MEV, right? So usually MEV has a lot to do with swapping. Um, so like you know on Osmosis or you know on Astroport or Windex or something like that. And you can extract MEV by front-running users who are swapping and doing something called the sandwich attack, which is generally uh, it's generally quite extractive. It's essentially just taking money out of out of a user's pocket that they otherwise wouldn't pay. Or you can just take advantage of natural arbitrage that will happen no matter what you do. And you can create a competitive market around that and distribute that revenue back to validators and users. And that's what our products do. So I think it really did accomplish that first vision. So that was the first, I would say, six months of Skip. Since then, we've gotten a lot more ambitious about what we're trying to do with Cosmos. In terms of MEV, yes. Uh, but then also in terms of UX and cross-chain UX. Um, we've started to build some privacy solutions. So for example, Skip Secure was our first sort of fun project around this, where any user can change their Kepler RPC address where they submit transactions to be one that's fully private. So they can basically opt out of the MEV ecosystem. Because they're fully private, no one can ever see their transaction until it ends up on chain. Um, in the future, we plan to do a lot more around cross-chain UX. And I don't want to get into all of it right now. I mean, we can go through it piece by piece, but that's really our, our focus as, as we continue to go forward. That, that's really interesting. Let me just stop on that for a second. So these RPCs that you provide that are, that are fully private, can you explain how that works and like who's providing that RPC? Is it, is it like a centralized RPC that you guys are running um, essentially for the community? Yeah, that's basically right. Um, we, right, so, so Skip Secure is basically, you go to Kepler, uh, you go to the little settings menu, you change your RPC to be the Skip Secure RPC for that network. Um, and then what will happen is if Skip is available on that chain, so basically if it's Juno, Evmos, Terra2, or Injective, we will take your transaction um, we will put it into the same sort of like what we call the Sentinel or basically this like piece of infrastructure that runs the auction. Um, we'll put it at the end of the auction and then send it directly to the validator. 
So normally when you submit a transaction, it goes to like, let's say Kepler's node, and then it gets permissionlessly or just like widely broadcasted out to the network so anyone can see it. That's what searchers will use to conduct any kind of MEV activity they want. But via this method, because the Sentinel is private and the validator is private, no one can ever see your transaction until it ends up on chain. You essentially get a direct line to the validator. Um, so it's like if you, you know, with your validator received a transaction from a user and you just put it right into your block versus like if it went through like 50 other different nodes before it ended there. Okay, that's interesting. I guess that has also implications on, I mean, so um, what, what's the Sentinel? The Sentinel is our, was our first product, which was basically a, uh, you could call it like a, I guess a matchmaker or, or an auction house where a bunch of searchers on one side would submit bids to be at the top of the block. And then validators would receive transactions from the Sentinel and put them at the top of their block. So it basically created a two-sided marketplace with validators on one side who were mining the, the blocks and then searchers on the other side who wanted to be at the top. And then the searchers would compete and say, okay, you know, I found this back run and I'm willing to pay $50 for it. And then somebody else would pay 75 and someone else would pay hundred. Then the top winner would eventually get, you know, selected by the Sentinel and sent to the validator. And we've seen right. those bundles go as high as multiple thousands of dollars in one bundle. So I think Rhino, uh, Rhino Validator the other month, they had a $3,000 um, or 3,000 Juno bundle um, that, you know, was mined and was a, you know, exciting thing for, for them because I think they gave a lot of it to saving Rhinos. Uh, but but th those, those auctions can be, can be very competitive and, and can be very lucrative as well. Okay. Well, we'll come back to that. Um... In, in a couple of minutes, but um, yeah, so I mean, we, we talked a little bit about like good MEV and bad MEV and you know, I've, I've heard other people characterize, you know, these different types of MEVs, you know, uh, Sonny Agarwal gave a talk at Nebula Summit last year about uh, about this very topic and so osmosis is strategy uh, with regards to MEV. So can, can you, um, can you sort of you know, explain what are the different types of MEV. So you already mentioned sandwich attacks as as a quote unquote bad type of MEV. Um, what are the other types of MEV? Yeah, there's actually very few types that are very common. And then there's what we call the long tail, which is like a variety of one-off opportunities that searchers will find and, and you know look for. Um, the primary form of MEV. So let's take the Ethereum ecosystem where there is a lot of MEV, right? About a billion dollars a year. Um, it is split basically between sandwiching and arbitrage. And then there's an additional bucket for, I would say, liquidations. So sandwiching is the concept of basically forcing a user to pay their maximum slippage, right? So you say, I'm willing to trade X for Y, and then somebody comes in above you and buys a bunch of X to make it, or sorry, buys a bunch of Y to make it more expensive and then sells you back the, or sells the Y afterwards once you sort of did your trade. So essentially what it has the effect of doing is artificially raising the price for you um, to, to the point that you max out your slippage and then selling at that higher price. So we view that as generally bad or just purely extractive. It would be 
fundamentally illegal if this were like a real capital market, like in the US, like that, that's, that's like a definitional of like market manipulation. Um, the other half of the Ethereum, but, but it makes a lot of money in Ethereum. The other half is arbitrage, which is basically, okay, you bought a lot of whatever, and now there's like a price imbalance between the pool that you bought it on and like a bunch of other pools on osmosis. So there's like an arbitrage that can take place. This was happening before Skip ever came into existence. It was very prominent on Osmosis. It was about $6 million last year. Um, you can see satellite.skip.money if you want you know, the, to see the full amount that was captured. And so that's really what Skip focuses on, is we focus on creating more competitive markets around arbitrage. We don't create markets that allow for any kind of sandwiching. Um, we viewed that as like, Chains can enable it if they want to, if they want that kind of market, but so far no chains have, have decided to do so. And so we try to you know, stick to what app chains want from us. So, so what you're saying is that there's like essentially two types of maybe there's the sandwich attacks which are generally considered to be you know, extractive. And this is the act of getting getting a user to pay his maximum amount of slippage uh, or forcing a user to do so by intervening in that transaction. And then on the other side, uh, you, you have uh, arbitrage, which you know, has existed since markets have been a thing. And just, you know, uh, recognizing the opportunities and discrepancies in pricing between different markets and capitalizing on those opportunities. And, and here generally, you know, we would see that, or at least it is characterized as non-extractive MEV, uh, but but more like, you know, on this good MEV. Um, as, as, uh, are, there, are there other types, or this is primarily to, so you mentioned liquidations too. Um, liquidations would fall in, in which bucket, and, um, you know, why, why are those more, I mean, those are obviously more common on Ethereum because there are more lending markets on Ethereum. Uh, than, than in Osmosis currently, or in Cosmos generally? Yeah, so, right. So so I would, I would categorize liquidations, and then there's this other kind called just-in-time liquidity attack, which it, I, I would both view as relatively benign as well. Um, so, like, I would put them probably in the good MEV camp. They're not as extractive as sandwich attacks, but they also have some of their own problems. So liquidations is the concept of... Um, and, and lending markets, by the way, like rely upon this kind of MEV to stay healthy, which is basically somebody's loan went bad and there's some kind of, uh, you know, reward for, for liquidating that loan to basically pay back the collateral. And so what will happen is MEV searchers will find those opportunities and then what we call atomically or all at once liquidate or borrow liquidate and then sort of like claim the reward as like a riskless profit. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's also relatively small actually, relative to the other first two types. And then we might get into this more in Cosmos, but we don't really have it today because we don't have like Uniswap V3 clones yet, except Forge is out. And I know that, you know, Osmosis is doing some stuff, but just in time liquidity uh, attacks are, are basically Someone wants to execute a big trade in a concentrated liquidity pool, and then a searcher will see that intent and then provide a bunch of liquidity right at the band that they'll be executing over to basically grab all the swap fees. 
from that and then prevent anyone else from getting like their proportional share. So it kind of screws the other LPs, but on the other hand, it gives the trader a better execution price. Um, so it's very different from sandwiching, which totally destroys your execution price. So I would call it like benign, but also like it does screw a different party in the ecosystem, which are LPs, which I think are also important. Mm, okay, that's interesting. I mean, I see that as just, you know, markets being markets, right? I mean, you have like market participants that are able to provide a better price because they have some advantage, like having more liquidity. And and so, you know, if that, that exists, then I, I just like, yeah, I would also see that as like quite benign. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so wh where does Skip fall in all of this? And like, which types of MEV does Skip and like typically you know, companies like Skip uh, that are focused on providing MEV solutions? Where does where where does skip fall and what types of ME does the skip uh, address? Is it mostly the sandwich attacks, uh, like this bad MEV, or are you providing all the solutions that address the other types of MEVs like arbitrage and you know these just in time liquidity? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the good news is Cosmos is actually pretty resistant already to sandwich attacks. Um, this was something that we noticed from the beginning, right? So. One of the one of the most I think misunderstood aspects of Cosmos versus Ethereum is that we don't have gas auctions or we don't have yeah we don't have gas ordering. So when you go to Kepler right and then you select the high gas option or you add an even more gas, that doesn't affect where in the block you're executed, right? So every, the, 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 the transactions are ordered by the time that they're submitted, roughly. So we call this a first come, first serve mempool, where, you know, if you submit after somebody else, you would expect to be in the block after them. So adding more gas does not put you higher up in the block. It doesn't change the ordering within the block. So what that means is it's very hard to front run someone, right? Because if you, Seb, submit, and then I want to be like, get in front of you, I can't really do that because, because of the, the way that the blocks are structured, because it's first come first serve, it would be very hard to like restructure and get on top of you, right? Um, which basically may, means it's impossible to execute a sandwich attack. And we've seen that and we verified that repeatedly going back through the history of osmosis, where there would have been a lot of sandwich attacks if it were possible. And we saw like, wow, no one's really doing this, right? So we didn't want to introduce that as like a new concept or we didn't want to like be the party that introduced sandwich attacks. We wanted to give instead a more competitive market around what was happening, which was this latency-based arbitrage backrunning, right? Where, you know, Seb submits a big swap and then I'm a searcher and I want to like backrun it and do what we call cyclic arbitrage afterwards. And so that's what we really created markets around. And all of our products basically do this, like, each one of our products is, is, is geared in some way of cap, helping capture the revenue from those backruns and distribute them to a variety of users. We've done it on Juno and Evmos and Terra in the form of an off-chain auction. We've done it on Osmosis in protocol via Protoref, where the protocol itself will do the backrun and give it back to users and governance. And then we've also done it now um, by interfacing with dApps directly that create the swaps. So like Astroport, um, maybe in the future Windex and other places uh, that will actually do it and then redistribute it back to the user. So that's really what we focus on right now. 
So yeah, part of front running, uh, how, how does this back running uh, work and you know, what, what are uh, say arbitrageurs um, trying to capture with a, with a back running MEV strategy? Yeah, so like if you just take the example of, of osmosis, um, you know, let's say there's five different pools that, um, you know, all have banana token, right? And they are roughly priced, they should be priced in dollar terms the same, right? So you imagine if in one pool, banana token is priced at a dollar and the other one it's priced at $10, what would you do? You would buy a bunch of it at $1 and then sell it at $10, right? You just make what we call arbitrage or riskless profit, right? So at a, at a baseline, all the pools should be balanced, right? The price of banana should be the same across both. But what happens is every time somebody comes in and trades on one of those pools, then the price of banana there will change, right? If they buy a lot of banana, the price will go up. If they sell a lot of banana, the price will go down. So either way, there's going to be now some difference in that pool uh, of banana token versus all the other pools that were not touched, right? So there's like basically money on the table. It's like there's a $20 bill on the table. And before skip, what would happen is all of these, I don't know, call, call them searchers, call them whatever you want, bots basically would search for these opportunities after people's trades and say, oh, that guy did a big trade. Let me now buy from that pool and sell into a pool that has a higher price, right? And basically the first person to grab the $20 bill off the table would own all of it, right? So what we do is we create competitive markets around getting the $20 bill. So essentially we ask people to form a line and say, okay, how much are you willing to pay to capture that arbitrage? And then someone else says, well, it's worth $20, so I'll pay $5, right? Then someone else will say, okay, well, I'll pay $15, right? It's worth $20, so it's still a profit. And then eventually someone will pay, well, I'll pay 19.99, right? To buy, to, to, to purchase this opportunity. And that's what we've really seen happen is that now that we've created these competitive auctions, people are paying 99% of the value of the MEV or the arbitrage to capture it. And that money goes back to the protocol, right? So now the protocol is recapturing the value of its own MEV. And that's really the point of Skip, right? Is we help you create the markets, neutral markets, to make these people compete for these opportunities that you're creating. And then you get the money back and can decide what to do with it. And that could go to validators, could go to users, could go to governance, you know, community pool, um, go to rhinos, whatever it is, right? Like it doesn't matter to us. It's, it's mostly about giving chains the ability and then the decision about how to capture and then where it goes, right? So, so arbitragers are paying up to 99% of the opportunity cost. Uh, is this something you see consistently? Like, like that, that it, you know, it, it pushes the boundaries of like sort of, you know, reaching close to 100% or, or, or does it vary? And what would, you know, what are some of the criteria that you've observed that would cause that to vary? Is it like, you know, less people... Uh, auctioning on that opportunity or are there like other uh, criteria here? Yeah. So I, I think it's a little bit of give and take. So there's some things that are very obvious that create arbitrage and 
the ones that are obvious and easy to understand and easy to um, capture become very competitive very quickly. So for example, what we do on our end is we actually introduce these open source bots called Skipper um, that allow for anybody to participate in MEV by just with, with very minimal programming knowledge. They just go, they download Skipper. It's an open source repo. Everything we do is open source pretty much. And they just run it on their computer, laptop. doesn't require a lot of infrastructure. And they'll automatically be doing these basic arbitrages between the pools. And so the, the, the opportunities that Skipper uh, captures have become extremely competitive, basically 100%, right? So you're, it's it like, it would be very hard now to just run Skipper as it is and make like a lot of money immediately. In the beginning, people were actually, but now it's, it's a lot more competitive. What we've seen people do instead is, you know, the people who are, I would say more, I guess, sophisticated are adding additional pools and finding additional cross-protocol arbitrages and then starting to do that. And then usually the way MEV works is you find some opportunity, you capture money from it, and then over time, other people realize what's going on and then they start to get into the game and then it becomes more competitive, right? And that's the natural way. And you know, I think that's how you incentivize innovation is, and initially you encourage people because it's profitable because no one else is doing it. And then other people come in and eventually just gets good for the ecosystem, right? Um, because you need searchers, right? Searchers are important to find these opportunities. You know, they're dedicated on this stuff. They have teams around it. And, you know, they're the ones who are, who are being creative, right? Um, but eventually, I think, I think the competition gets very high and then the protocol is the one that benefits. So, so who are these arbitragers? Like, who are the big players in MEV that, you know, most people have never heard about? Who's extracting the most value and making the most money here? So different parties, I think, on Cosmos versus uh, Ethereum. In Ethereum, there's there's some well-known MEV shops. So like Snoopy, who you may have seen on Twitter, is one. Uh, they do a lot of uh, arbitrage or like stablecoin arbitrage. Um, there's also uh, SCP is kind of an, I, I wouldn't call them infamous, but they are a massive shop. And they've kind of subsumed a lot of the other MEV shops. And they do a lot of what we call sex to dex arbitrage, which means they'll be arbitraging between Binance and Ethereum. Um, in Cosmos, we know some of them because they're on the Discord and we, we like them a lot. I think they're a little more hobbyists, right? Because there's not that much MEV that, you know, to them, it's usually one, one person who's just very exploratory and interested. Um, I would say one of the best teams in this is White Whale. Uh, they have an incredible, Bossa Nova is an incredible searcher who can create these arbitrage bots and has open sourced them for the community. I would, I would highly recommend checking out their open source bot um, that uses Skip. But they, they've done a really good job. And then what we've noticed is a lot of these searchers are, are people who made a lot of money doing this in Terra in the, in the good old days and have now migrated to the rest of the ecosystem. But we don't know who they are. Um, most of the time, these people are anonymous. Okay. Um, so, so you would, would it be fair to characterize the MEV ecosystem in Cosmos as, you know, still fairly immature and, and, and sort of in a growth phase or perhaps, you know, like the early 
days compared to you know, other ecosystems like certainly Ethereum. Yeah, I, th I think the reason for that is none other than the fact that, you know, um, MEV is highly tied to volume and volatility, and we just don't have as much as Ethereum, right? Hate to break it to you, but like, yeah. you know, we're, we're getting there, uh, but it's going to take time. And, you know, the volume on Juno or Osmosis or, you know, any, anything else in, 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 in uh, Cosmos is just does not rival Ethereum at this, at this time. I, I really do believe that this is about to change. Yeah. What is, what, what is the catalyst that, that, that causes that change in your opinion? Um, I think it is a combination of, I think a lot of things have to change. Um, so one thing is we need better custody solutions because, you know, volume and liquidity is highly tied to institutions and we don't have institutional custody solutions in Cosmos. Um, Fireblocks doesn't support most of these chains. Anchorage doesn't support most of these chains. And we need that, right? Like institutions legally need that or, or, or from a security standpoint require that to come in. And so I'm excited to see the development of that. I also think for a long time, we haven't had native USDC. Um, native USDC is also important for institutions to trade and, you know, gives a level of credibility to the ecosystem that I think is, is, is turns heads, right. In terms of where people can deploy their capital. And so I think Noble is going to be a big thing. And then lastly, I think the, the, I just saw something that we, we flipped in terms of Cosmos developers versus Ethereum developers. That's not to be like looked over, right? Like the, the, the arrival of DYDX, the arrival of say the arrival of Barachain, Archway, Duality, a bunch of these protocols, I think will have a lot of, will attract a lot of interest, right? And turn a lot of heads. And I think, especially if DYDX does well, that's an example of a ETH-based protocol, right? From Starkware coming over and being successful in Cosmos. I think that's going to be a, like a canary in the coal mine for a lot of these other protocols being like, what if we deployed our own app chain, right? It worked well for DYDX, we should do it. And so we have faith in, in those things developing the right way. So you said something interesting here. You said that you saw somewhere that Cosmos just flipped Ethereum in terms of its the number of its developers. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah, the number of active developers. They're they're you know they they track these things as as one of the you know ecosystem metrics. And right now we're the top ecosystem. So you you mean to tell me there are more developers building on Cosmos than? than Solidity, Solidity developers? I find that really hard to believe. I mean, like, I know the Cosmos is growing and there are like lots of developers, but I find that I very mean, difficult to believe. The, I, I mean, I'd love to see this in the metric, but yeah. Yeah, I could I could dig up the metric, um, but, you know, and also, you know, it's possible that metric was biased. I, I don't know, but yeah. that's, it seems to be that we were neck and neck for a while, but less. And, you know, I guess after a couple of recent events, things have changed, but I think it's, it's, in some ways, it kind of makes sense to me because in Cosmos, we're developing L1s, right? All these app chains are full sovereign L1s. And, you know, the amount of capital that that can attract is enormous, as we've seen, right? Say raising at an 800 million valuation, Barachain just announced they raised at a $420 million valuation. Those are going to be fully fleshed out, you know, 10 to 40 person teams um, that I think, you know, th there's a lot of excitement about, you know, what you can do as an L1. And I, I always go back to the example of, 
you know, the third largest blockchain ever was built on Cosmos, right? It was Terra. I think we're going to have that again. Like we have the stack and we've already proven that our technology can do that. Um, it's just a question of finding an application that and, and an ecosystem that, that can do that again. And so, you know, we, we've, I guess, since we were born into that time, we, you know, we see that in the future as well. Um, shout out from Imperity here. <laughs> this is also because Mag counts as a thousand devs. Um, maybe, yeah, that could, that could, that could be that. Maybe our devs are, are, you know, count as more devs than Ethereum, Ethereum devs. Um, so let's, let's talk about the product a little bit. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier Sentinel. So tell, tell me about the different parts of the skip stack, if you will, and you know, how that integrates with validators and who interacts with the different components of, of the, of the stack. And um, yeah, like, you know, I, as, as, as a validator, I'm actually like curious and interested in this, uh, but also maybe other people out there like interested in implementing skip on their validator or maybe leveraging some of the stuff that skip has built to, you know, try to make some money um, uh, with, uh, with MEV. Yeah, great question. So I'll talk through our first product, Skip Select, which is available on Juno, Evmos, Terra 2, and Injective. So as I said before, what we do is we try to create a neutral marketplace, right, where we don't assert any influence or control between searchers on the one hand and then validators on the other hand. So you may not realize this as a validator, but you have a lot of power because the way that Tendermint works, right, or the consensus algorithm that underpins all Cosmos chains and more, uh, is it's a round robin system, right? So who creates the block? Well, first it's Seb, then it's Imperator, then it's Cosmos Station, then it loops back around, right? And it has this round robin system. When you are selected as a block builder in that system, you have unilateral control over what transactions go into your block. Meaning if you wanted to put in whatever you could, right? If you wanted to reorder whatever, you also could. So basically the validator has a huge amount of power in terms of how blocks are built, right? But on the other hand, validators usually don't have and shouldn't have the level of sophistication to do the MEV capturing on their own blocks themselves, right? because they don't know where all the opportunities are. They don't want to build all the different bots required and all the different, you know, um, I guess like a, a observation tooling and liquidity management required to do that kind of MEV capturing. So the, the idea here is that validators have control over their blocks and that searchers are the best ones to capture the MEV. So what we do is we create a competitive market for the searchers, that's the Sentinel. So the Sentinel interfaces with the searchers. They, there's RPC calls that they do into the Sentinel and they say, hey, I want this transaction at the top. And then a different searcher says, hey, I want this transaction at the top. They battle it out. And then basically 400 milliseconds before it's time to create the block, we choose the winner and then we send it to the validator and say, validator, here is the winner of the highest paying MEV transaction. And this is the amount that they want to pay please include it at the top of your block. And the validator will say, okay, great. I'll include it at the top of the block and thank you for the payment, right? A tip, you could call it. 
Um, additionally, validators, since they have to register a connection over P2P gossip, right? We're just a node. The Sentinel is just a node. So you just, all you have to do is peer with us. There's nothing else required. Um, when they register, they also tell us, whenever you give us the tip, send this much to delegators in the network as well, right? So there's a percentage split there. The validator can say, I want to keep 100% and don't give the network anything. That's fine. No problem. Or they can say, I don't want anything. I'm very uh, altruistic. Give 100% back to the network and the delegators, right? They could also do that or they could do any combination in between. Um, and so that's basically, that's basically like the structure of it, right? A, a validator would go to our site, register for an API key that allows them to peer to the Sentinel. Then all they need to do is uh, basically patch their version of Tendermint with MEV Tendermint or MEV comment uh, that allows them to peer to us and then also to put whatever they receive from the Sentinel at the top of the block. So it's like a small reordering of their blocks. And then that's all they need to do. It takes about five minutes is what we've seen. Um, and then the searchers are, I mean, I could go through that separately, but there's a whole different set of things that they need to do. They need to set up, um, oftentimes they'll run Skipper and then they'll make some modifications. Sometimes they'll run their own nodes to find mempool transactions. But at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're submitting bids and groups of transactions to our auction uh, to be considered sort of in, in that auction. Um, yeah. So, so the, so the validators are, the validators just like run software. I mean, yes. they, they, they patch their tenement software. Um, and, and that allows them just to interface with, with Sentinel and to essentially receive, um, bids from searchers on the other side of that market that are, uh, you know, bidding for that block space that are hoping to capture some of, um, some of that MEV. Um, so it's, it's fairly straightforward. I feel for val like validators, like they, they, like they just have to turn on skip to make this additional revenue. Yep. feels like there's, uh, there's no other kind of assembly required. Uh, so on, on the sentinels, uh, sorry, on the searcher side though. So you, you mentioned this other piece of software, uh, Skippy, um, what, 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 what's the utility of Skippy and, and how are searchers using it? Is it sort of like a framework or some sort of, some sort of an SDK for identifying MEV transact uh, MEV and sort of like submitting that to to the to the marketplace. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it it's it's as I said before, it's it's a plug and play searcher bot. So you just download it, right? You grab it from the open source GitHub repo, and then you press run. Um, well, you don't press run. You type you know whatever the command is, right? Python main.py or whatever it is. Um, and then what it will do, depending on the network you're on, is find MEV opportunities and then submit bundles to, uh, to the auction to try to get included, right? Um, and it, you know, early days especially, it just made people money. And what it had the effect of doing was opening the, uh, was democratizing uh, sort of the entry point into being an MEV searcher. So sometimes we saw validators being MEV searchers. We saw people who with very little technical experience doing it. And a lot of people like are excited about this stuff and they want to see how it works and get involved, right? It's like a little bit of a hobby project. But what we've seen is some people really enjoyed it, 
and then actually got much more serious about it and started to really add to it upstream changes. Um, and it just generally made, we, we generally helped build out, I think that ecosystem of searchers to the point that now there's over 300 active searchers every day um, who are submitting bundles. We get over a hundred thousand bundles on some networks on some days. Um, and then we manage that. So that was really the purpose was to, you know, on all sides of the network, make it more accessible and to not have it be anywhere sort of like behind closed doors, right? Validator side, all you need to do is run software. Um, you don't, maybe you don't understand how MAB works. All you know is you run the software and then money gets deposited into your account magically, right? And you know that you're not screwing users in the process. That's like a big thing for validators, right? And then on the searcher side, all you mm. do is run this software and then you just make money magically, right? And you also know that you're not screwing. I, I think those people care a little less about this, but you also know that you're not screwing users and that you can add to it to make more money if you want to get more into it. Okay, so, so sort of like vanilla Skippy, like anybody can run it. It will, it will search for MEV opportunities, but then you can you can sort of tweak it or, or uh, augment that software in order to look for other more complex MEV opportunities. But I mean, if everyone's running the same software and like that, that software is sort of like doing everyone, where, where's the competition? I mean, they, they sort of have to uh, be, um, you know, like be, be looking for unique MEV opportunities because otherwise like everybody would be getting the same ones, right? And then there would be no competition, right? Yeah, I mean, the competition first comes from price. So if everyone's running Skippy and everyone says there's a parameter, it says I'm willing to pay 10% of the value of the arbitrage in the form of a tip, then the only per the person who wins is the person who puts 15%, right? And then the person who wins is the person who puts 20%, right? So very quickly goes to 100. Um, but if you wanted to find an opportunity where you can only bid, where you can win and only bid 10%, you have to go elsewhere. Right. Or you have to add to Skippy or it's actually called Skipper. Um, and then basically, you know, find other pools. Sorry, or opportunities. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I confused it with the peanut butter for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay. And so, yeah, talk about, so I'd like to get a little bit into like this, you know, when, when I, when I heard Sonny talk about, I mean, the, you know, he, he and, and other people as well, it's like capturing, you know, the, 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 the good MEV mm -hmm. and delivering it back to the community through, you know, the pool or, you know, some other means like channeling those, those revenues to a DAO. Um, at, at what point does that happen? And like, how are protocols like today thinking about this and what are the most common ways in which protocols are, you know, utilizing that, that MEV. Uh, um, yeah, great question. So we talked about the first product a lot. That was the first six months of Skip. We've been focused on a completely diff different set of things since about four months ago. So when we talked to Sunny and, and Dev, who had, who had a big, you know, uh, architectural influence on this stuff, we... The, the original design of Skip, right, this, this off-chain auction of the Sentinel didn't work for Osmosis. Um, it's not that it didn't work from, a, from an infrastructural standpoint or a technological standpoint. It didn't work because 
reality is you are placing a lot of trust in Skip, right? We're running this software uh, like in the Sentinel. You don't really know what's going on, right? I can tell you that it's honest, but you know, like we're trying to build trustless systems. And so we thought about, well, what does it look like to do this fully in protocol, right? Where you don't need to trust the auctioneer, right? You don't need to trust that they're running a fair auction and that we're not taking, taking ones out and putting our own in or something like that, right? You know that everything's being done right because it's being done by all the validators in an open source way, right? And they can see the logic. And so that's when we built this thing called Protorev. Uh, Protorev is something that's built on Osmosis. It's specific to Osmosis right now, um, where it's built as an additional module in the Cosmos SDK stack that interfaces with the GAM module or the AMM module on Osmosis, like their native swapper. Um, and it essentially will auto backrun every transaction without using an external third party or marketplace, right? Um, there was a lot of open questions about if this would work, right? We're like, hmm, like if we put all of this logic into the validators, is it going to really slow down block times? It's going to be really computationally intensive. Is it going to require a lot of capital to do these arbitrages, which are generally capital intensive? And we, what we figured out now that's now that it's launched and been running for a month and made $40,000 approximately for osmosis is no, and it doesn't actually do any of those things that, um, there's ways of doing these things extremely computationally easily um, and still very effectively. You can actually, since it's in a protocol, you can mint the liquidity that it needs to do the arbitrage in real time. You just mint it out of thin air and then you burn it by the end and just keep the profit. We call this flash minting. Um, and so we're like, there's so many cool properties of what you can do when you're actually inside the protocol that you can't do when you're outside in the Sentinel. And so really the focus has been over the last couple months of being like, okay, how can we like generalize this thing that we've done for osmosis, which I would actually call relatively groundbreaking to do MEV inside the protocol and have it be recaptured by the protocol. How can we generalize that outside of osmosis, right? And so that's, that's really this product that we're building called protocol owned builders or POB which I would general, generalize as saying, taking the Sentinel and putting it inside the protocol where validators can fully verify the logic. It's a fully open source. And then it's, it's, really, com it's really controlled by the protocol, right? Um, that's really the focus of, of what we've been doing, which is basically mm -hmm. putting these auctions inside the protocol, allowing searchers to still compete. Searchers are great, as I talked about before. Searchers are basically the product of Skip, right? Like they're the ones who are doing the work. Um, but to do so in a fully verifiable, trustless way, because it is something that is built into the logic of the protocol. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think this is one of the things that that really set apart, you know, Osmosis's vision, Osmosis's, the vision of Osmosis and that of say Adam 2.0 and the allocator. And, um, and I remember when that whole debate was going on, um, Sonny and other people in the osmosis community saying, you know, block space auctions are, are essentially are, are great, but if you can just build MEV uh, uh, auctions right into the protocol, it's sort of 
eliminates for you know, this whole you know module at the um, at the validator level, and and also probably is more more effective at battling MEV because because it's right in the right there in the protocol. I, I, you know, at the time, I felt that that was like a really interesting uh, point of view, and and uh, you know didn't fully understand it then, but I'm starting to come around to the you know, to understanding and, and, and how valuable it is. So talk a little bit about, uh, you guys have put out a, a research uh, article on, on your medium and you've also released this um, MEV satellite, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, which, uh, which is sort of a data dashboard um, that, that shows the, the MEV that's been captured on osmosis. Can, can you talk a bit about the, the uh, you know, the experience of having, Launch this product on Osmosis, and what you've learned from that, and 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 also, you know, the amount of MEV that's been extracted, and what's been sort of, yeah, interesting from that from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, so I generally, I mean, there's an account that the MEV goes to on Osmosis. I'll send it the private chat. I don't know if you want to share it afterwards, but this is the this is the module account of Protoref. So this is you know, we're not touching this. This is just running on all of the validators on Osmosis. So if you're an Osmosis validator, you're running this code right now. Um, and it is just built into the processing of transactions in the Osmosis state machine to back run and then capture MEV. Um, it's captured about, I want to say about $50,000. It says 40,000 here, but there was a profit split with Skip to build this out, which was 20% decreasing by 50% every year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we've been pretty excited about the performance of it. It's, it's, it's capturing 80% of the 80 to 90% of this MEV on osmosis by, and introducing basically no overhead to the validators. Like, I don't think any validator should have noticed any increase in sort of their requirements since that sodium upgrade. Um, there it is. Right. And it doesn't only just capture in, in osmosis, it captures an atom, it captures an actual USDC, and we could add additional tokens, you know, if government governance wants to, um, to, to capture, you know, other, uh, other forms of, of capital. Um, I'd say the, the learning experience here was just like, we sort of went out on a whim to build this protorev module. We didn't know if it would work, honestly. Um, we thought it was very, all the existing knowledge, right, on Ethereum is put this in an off-chain system, right? It's too computationally intense. It's going to overload the validators, right? And this was really kind of bucking that and saying, well, fuck it. Like, let's just build it inside the protocol and see how it does. And so far, we've been very excited about how it's done. Um, and I think the Osmosis team has also been very excited. Um, so the learning there is that in protocol makes a lot of sense. We want to move that direction over time. We don't want people to trust Skip ever, except in the form of open source code that they can verify. And that that's where we, that's where we want to go. And in some ways, it's kind of a little bit scary to make that jump because, you know, our original business model was like, well, if, every, if people really like this off-chain system, maybe we can charge for it as an infrastructure business, you know, and, you know, people would pay for it. And it made a lot of sense because we had our own infrastructure. Now we're just developing open source code that anyone can fork and copy and whatever, right? Um, and that's a little bit scary to us. But, you know, what we've learned and what we've seen in crypto is if you just continue building the right thing that works for protocols, you'll find a way. I think, I hope, I pray that, you know, protocols and foundations will reward you for that. Um, 
And you know, right now we're trying to negotiate with foundations to continue to be a partner in that and, and recapture. And I think the nice thing about working with Skip is it is a value creative thing, right? Like we're, we're, we're recapturing for the protocol value that was otherwise going away. Right. And so is the other model, is the previous model dead then? Is, is like, you know, MEV auctions as they existed previously and as I guess they still exist in Ethereum, are, are, are they going? Are, are they just going to become obsolete or sort of phase out of existence as protocols uh, implement MEV at the protocol level because of all the advantages that it has? Um, it's a great question, actually. So we don't plan on deprecating um, the Sentinel anytime soon because a lot of validators still use it and we want to maintain that. And by the way, it's all been free as well. We've never charged for a product. Um, so I think we, we plan on maintaining the Sentinel on chains as long as they don't have POV. So I think once we, once POV gets to the point where chains really like it and it's been proven and they really want it, um, we will start to transition validator or transition chains away from the Sentinel and then into POV, which is this in protocol, basically equivalent, right? Um, but we're still a couple months away from that. And if a chain for some reason does not want POB, I think it would just be a discussion, right? Saying, okay, we can continue to maintain this for you, no problem. Um, but, you know, would want to understand why. Like, I think it would be a, an interesting question why they want the off-chain system more. Um, but uh, I think if we had it our way, or if we, if uh, right now our thesis is that the in-protocol will, will win out um, because it has these properties as I was talking about in terms of capital efficiency and, and also in terms of you just don't have to rely on skip for like off-chain infrastructure, right? It runs on stuff that has to run anyway, yeah. which are validators. So I think over time that will be, that will be the winning solution. So when you were, you were saying earlier, like that, you know, essentially in protocol, the protocol can mint this liquidity and then uh, and then burn. Right. The yeah. protocol is doing its own flash loan, sort of. It's a, exactly. is essentially exactly. what it comes oh, down they're to. Mint, they're yeah. they're really okay. minting it, right? Like flash loans and other ecosystems. Yeah. It's just liquidity that's sitting in, like, let's say Aave or yeah. Compound. But here, they're they're literally creating it and then burning it. It's like a transient mm. aberration of liquidity used for an arbitrage, and then it's gone, and it doesn't affect the network or token amounts at all. Mm. Interesting. What's crazy to yeah, me on this point is Osmosis can mint not only Osmo, they can mint Atom, they can mint USDC, they can mint anything, right? Because these are IBC assets. And as a protocol, you can mint any IBC asset. So they, you know, commonly, right, like in Protorev, it will be minting Atom and then burning Atom or minting USDC and burning USDC. So that you can actually do arbitrage in any token, not just your native one. All right. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Walk me through this, this, uh, this platform. So this is MEV satellite, uh, and it's sort of a data dashboard that, uh, displays the, the amount of energy extracted on Ethereum or sorry, on osmosis. So what, what are we looking at here? Yeah. So what you're looking at here is what we call cyclical arbitrage. So these are transactions on osmosis that start in one token. Let's call it X and then do a bunch of swaps through a bunch of different other pools to end up with more than they started with in X, right? So let's say you started with 100 Osmo, 
You do a bunch of these swaps. And by the end of that one transaction, because all the swaps are in one transaction, you end up with more Osmo magically, right? Almost. So you're looking here. I mean, if you, if you look at the big spike, that is, can you guess what that is, Seb? Uh, may, yeah, yeah, that was Terra. Yeah, that was Terra. Exactly. So what was happening there was there was a huge amount of volatility on some of the pools, mainly the ones that had UST and Luna. And so there was a lot of crazy price differences that were going on and a lot of arbitrage required to make the prices equivalent, which meant a lot of MEV, right? Um, so uh, that's what you're seeing here are basically the amount of profit being captured in riskless arbitrage uh, via these cyclical, cyclical arbitrage transactions. And so over time, we expect this to basically flatline, right? Because there should be no more of this because Protorev is now doing it for the protocol and recapturing all of this revenue back for Osmosis and its community. And the distribution of those funds is going to be decided. There's already a governance proposal that was passed, I think, um, in terms of how that will be distributed between validators and users and community pool and whatever else. Um, yeah. What was, is, is the vo was the void that USDT, uh, sorry, USDT created it, it, uh, as a sort of lack of a stable coin after this, is that what, what was that contributing, was that a contributing factor to this sort of flatlining compared to like previously how things were sort of, you know, MEV extracted was sort of, you know, continuously growing. Like was the absence of a, of a stable coin to uh, the, to sort of to blame for, for you know, a, a consequence of, of this, uh, you know, flatlining of the MEV. Uh... Or is that something else? I honestly think the flatlining of the MEV is a consequence of the decreased liquidity in Cosmos and on Osmosis as well, post Terra, right? I think, I okay. mean, yeah. what, what Terra did for Cosmos was just bring a bunch of liquidity and uh, a lot of excitement to protocols. And I think since then it has decreased, right? And we're in a bear market. So what you're seeing here, excuse me, is basically a consequence of lowered volume and volatility. Um, there have been spikes, there have been days, for example, the USDC collapse where there was a lot of, like, there was a big spike. I think there was $10,000 of MEV captured on one day, which in today's market is a lot on osmosis. Um, and I think we'll see that again. One thing I'm really excited about, for example, is the, the liquidity that moves over from Ethereum to BNDYDX, which has on some days more volume than Ethereum itself. Um, is going to probably flow through osmosis, right? And so I think uh, I think a lot of I think this is going to grow rapidly. Is is my sense? Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, DYDX launching as a Cosmos chain and USDC launching as well is just going to bring like a ton of liquidity into the space. I think like we're about to we're about to have some 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 nice. Um, some happy times in the Cosmos ecosystem, I think. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> to, say, to say, to say it bluntly, uh, yeah. So, what you, you were you were talking earlier? We, we mentioned this a little bit before um, that you guys have been working also on IBC unwinding and, and this packet forwarding middleware. So, just as a recap, so IBC unwinding is the um, the act of unwinding IBC transactions back through the original chain in order to uh, to get to do an IBC um, 
sort of transfer uh, rather than going straight from like one chain to another. And the reason why you want to do that is to eliminate, uh, you know, uh, um, you want to keep fungibility in assets. And so this is particularly useful in the case of uh, USDC. Uh, and yeah, people will be that that's the, I mean, business model will be like that these transactions will flow back through the chain. Uh, and so you get working with uh, Strangelove on implementing this. How, how does that play into MEV? I, I, I hadn't considered that uh, that uh, unwinding transactions was uh, part of that. Yeah, I mean, this is part of a, a broader... Um, so like one thing to understand about Skip, I suppose, is we don't have a chain, right? We don't have a token. Um, there's no There's no Skip token, right? We are, I think laser focused in general on growing Cosmos because we integrate with all of these Cosmos chains as our customers and as our partners. And we are highly incentivized to see them grow, right? On, on all parts of our roadmap. Um, it's, it's fully dedicated to trying to grow Cosmos. Um, and we have, I think, a team now with Sam Hart as well, who has identified a lot of the big problems between Cosmos today and beating the Ethereum ecosystem. And our ambitions are to try to move in that direction as fast as possible. So the, to answer your question, what does IBC and winding up do with MEV? It has nothing to do with MEV. Uh, there, there's, no, there's no relationship, right? Like we, we don't plan to charge for that service uh, and we don't plan to somehow have it be part of the MEV extraction story or I mean, prevention story. What we realized was wow, this is a pretty shit UX, right? When you send your tokens from chain A to chain B and now they're unusable and lost because you, you forgot to send it first back to a different chain, then to a different chain and then to chain B. That's just like, I think that's a problem that I've faced before is one thing. Um, and I think it's a problem that a lot of new users will face. And so our thinking there was, well, like, this is a big impediment in our minds between Cosmos now and the Cosmos that we want to see in terms of growth. We should just contribute to this and make it a public good. Um, so that's really what we've been doing is we've been, you know, really, uh, really pushing um, in terms of packet forward middleware adoption and really, uh, and, and we've already made a spec and, and implemented a design that would allow for this to happen as an API and talking to wallets about integrating it. Um, but really, we really just believe that it, it's something that needed to happen yesterday. Um, and we didn't really see it, as much movement as we wanted to see. And so we were trying to push it forward. Um, I think it's actually every, one thing that we talk about a lot internally is a big impediment to Cosmos growing is that there's not enough ownership over the Cosmos ecosystem from any one party that we need to see, right? There's a lot of chains that focus on their own development Many exceptions to this, I must say, but there's a lot of chains to focus on their own development and their own tokens and their own develop, you know, their own developer ecosystem. But they don't focus on Cosmos, right? We need more people to take advantage or to take ownership over the cross-chain story, right, and the cross-chain UX experience. And so we figured, you know, if we if we want to encourage people to do this, we should start, right? And so this is our start: is trying to figure out sort of how to do that, solve this UX problem. Um, Ultimately, I, I guess you could say it is going to advantage us if it works out because 
we think it will lead to a, a, just a better UX and more volume and more activity, which means you know more MEV and and more you know value of Skip overall. Um, but you know I think that's that's the long game. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to to this module being uh, sort of implemented across um, all the Cosmos chains, so that that the, this this problem, right? Like so, there's this impediment, as you put it, um, is, is finally solved. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about as we wrap up here, the the future of MEV and Cosmos. I mean, we've already discussed a little bit, you know, the the prospects of MEV. Um, sort of being internalized in protocol and like Osmos is sort of leading the way on that. What are some other things that you think are, are coming in the future that uh, people should look out for? And, and I guess that are sort of specific to Cosmos because, you know, there, there are, there are many things here that I think, especially in the case of, uh, you know, cross chain transactions. And as we implement IBC or, um, mechanisms that allow IBC uh, tokens to move you know, across ecosystems. I think a lot of these things are going to play into, you know, the, the sort of MEV story. Uh, what are you most uh, interested in and what gets you most excited? Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think there's a, there, there's a, uh, like a, a combination of in, in, in MEV there's, there's two sides of, of the market that we talk about. One is the block space side and one is the order flow side, right? Um, meaning the people who have access or control over the MEV market is the, the block space is the validators, right? They control their own block space and, and what goes in it. And then the, the users are the ones who actually create the orders and the transactions that create MEV and you know create activity. Um, and so we focus a lot on the block space side. I think what you can expect to see from Skip is a lot more on the order flow side. Uh, so a lot more tools and integrations with some of your favorite protocols um, that are already in the works and some already passed through governance to integrate at the user side so that users can actually define if they want some MEV or if they want a part of the MEV that they're creating, right? So ultimately what people don't realize, I think, is users have all the power here, right? Validators, yes, have power, but users also have power because they're the ones who are creating the orders that create the MVP. So I think over time, what you'll expect to see is a, is a market or like an agreement between the two parties of how MEV is distributed. And we want to make sure we're building solutions that enable for so that that communication and trade-off um, and, you know, have integrations on all sides of the market. I think long-term, what you can expect to see from Skip is some more experiments, calling them experiments because this stuff is very tricky, of uh, what it looks like to start to explore the cross-chain MEV space. So what does that mean? Like in a basic form, that means what does it look like to do a cross-chain arbitrage, right? Where I'm doing a swap on Osmosis and a swap on Juno and I'm capturing some value between them. You know, those chains are connected over IBC, but otherwise they're fully asynchronous sovereign L1s. There's, there's some stuff that we're going to be putting out that's an exploration of how you could do that, right? So maybe some alpha here is, uh, you know, Sam Hart was one of the original designers of the scheduler, which is an Atom 2.0, which was an idea to sort of leverage the concept of block space futures 
to schedule blocks together so that you could do cross-chain arbitrage. He is now at Skip, and we are talking about this idea a lot and you know, may have, um, we had some problems with the initial design, but we may have some improvements that we can share. Um, and I think we're I also- just, I just noticed that earlier I, I referenced the scheduler, but I, I, I said allocator, but I was actually meeting the scheduler, but yeah, go on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. all good. Um, and then I think also what we think very deeply about are how do, so if what you care about is sort of like this cross-chain flow over IBC, relayers play an important part in that story. And what can you do to have relayers be incentivized and also capture a part of the MEV, right? And we all know that relayers need incentivization right now. Um, and so we're, we're dedicating some time and, and, and we have a dedicated team to exploring this. Uh, so I think basically overall, what you can expect to see are more players in the MEV ecosystem that Skip can create integrations for where sort of this can be shared in a more broad way between different pieces of essential infrastructure like relayers, but then also with users. Um, for a lot of that to be open sourced and discussed openly as we have done in the past. And, uh, you know, eventually some idea of how to tie these things together and how it sort of overall benefits cross-chain UX. Um, I think that's that's skip endgame, right? It is is some sort of unifying mechanism of all these things. And what about cross-chain MEV across ecosystems? So crossing the boundaries of Cosmos and Ethereum, and you know, as things like Polymer uh, come online and, and, and other um, cross-ecosystem IBC implementations, do you think that there will be a, a big opportunity there? And uh, you know, is is the market uh, sort of prepared for that? And yeah. I do think there will be an opportunity there. Um, is the market prepared for that? I think, uh, yeah, I, I think I think in terms of like what it will look like to have those IBC connections, I think you'll see a lot of liquidity flow. I think you'll see a lot of price discrepancies of assets on different ecosystems. Um, and I think over time, you'll see tooling develop to make those price discrepancies lower, right? And, and to give like execution capabilities for people doing arbitrage there. Um, and I think you'll also see incentivization of the relayers who are doing the information passing between them. Um, but I think that is that is going to take some time. Um, and it's also going to probably going to require a little bit of a restructuring about how we think about relayers in, in the IBC world. Um, there's actually some really good research here, if anybody's interested, in the uh, Ethereum ecosystem about how they, they incentivize relayers for cross-rollup communication. Um, I think some of those ideas seem applicable to, to Cosmos. Okay. Yeah, I'm, re I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. I mean, I think that the, the cross-chain EV and specifically, like, you know, the cross-ecosystem of EV um, space is going to be really interesting with a, a whole lot of sort of innovation, I think about, you know, how, like how to capture that MEV, but also protocol, you know, uh, leveraging that MEV to the best of, of their abilities to, you know, flow value back to users, which I think is like the best way that we can um, leverage MEV. Um, yeah, Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast and, uh, you know, giving us a, a high level uh, overview of MEV, but also a deep dive on, on, uh, on a lot of these topics uh, certainly help you know broaden my understanding and um, hopefully we can get you back on again at some point to get a little bit deeper on on some of these specific issues
and also as you know as the space evolves uh, i'm happy to get you back on at some point uh to get an update yeah thank you for having me and to our listeners thanks again for tuning in uh, remember that we go live every week on thursdays so if you're interested uh in this content if you like the content we're using uh please consider subscribing and uh, also delegate to our validators we're on Evmos, quicksilver and osmosis and you know what probably we'll be integrating uh skip at some point seems really interesting thanks again <laughs>